Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 391. Come gather around, people, wherever you roam. Admit that the waters around you have grown. And accept that, that soon you will be drenched to the bone. If your time to you is worth saving, then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone. Where the times, they are a-changing. Bob Dylan. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble and quarantined host, Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. It's harder today than ever before for independent filmmakers to make money with their films. From predatory film distributors ripping them off to huckster film aggregators who prey upon them, the odds are stacked against the indie filmmaker. The old distribution model of making money with your film is broken and there needs to be a change. The future of independent filmmaking is the entrepreneurial filmmaker or the film entrepreneur. In Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, I break down how to actually make money with your film projects and show you how to turn your indie film into a profitable business. With case studies examining successes and failures, this book shows you the step-by-step method to turn your passion into a profitable career. If you're making a feature film, series, or any other kind of video content, the Film Entrepreneur method will set you up for success. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and of course, audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Today's show is also sponsored by DaVinci Resolve 16. Blackmagic Design's DaVinci Resolve is the world's only solution that combines professional 8K editing, color correction, visual effects, and audio production all in one software tool. I've been using DaVinci Resolve for years and has been my main editing and color grading solution, and basically online uh, post-production solution now for probably five to six years. I can't recommend it enough. It is now available for free download from Blackmagic Design's website at www.blackmagicdesign.com. And if you want the full studio version, it is only $2.99. So head over to blackmagicdesign.com. Before we get started, guys, I set up a special link to help people affected by the coronavirus, and you can donate to Feed America. There is a lot of people in need out there, and Feed America is a great organization, and they're helping millions of people on a daily basis, and they also need your help. If you want to donate even five bucks, ten bucks, it goes a long way, 
head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash help. Now, guys, today we have a special episode. We're bringing back returning champion Stephen Follows. You may remember him from our last episode where we discussed how Die Hard is the greatest Christmas movie ever made. But on a serious note, Stephen is the film data guy. He crunches numbers for the film industry like nobody else and really has amazing insights onto how this business works in general. And he just released an article the other day where he took a survey of over 400 industry insiders to find out what Hollywood really thinks the future is for exhibition. And I thought it was extremely important to get this message out there because so many tribe members are asking me constantly, Alex, what's the future? What are we going to do? Is, it, is our theaters dead? Is, is VOD going to take over? And I wanted to get him on the show to discuss all the findings he had in his article. So we sit down and talk about the future, about where we're going, what we think is going to happen, but more importantly, what the industry themselves think is going to happen. And it's broken up into very distinct group of people, filmmakers, sales and distribution people, exhibition people, which are cinema owners and operators, home entertainment, TV, and all flavors of, of VOD, including physical and digital sales of all forms as well. And then there's others, which are like education, government bodies, festivals, journalism, uh, lawyers, cinema suppliers, and so on. It is truly a fascinating story on where the industry is going to be, where the industry thinks the industry is going to be post-COVID-19. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Stephen Follows. I'd like to welcome back to the show, returning champion, Stephen Follows. How are you doing, my friend? I'm very good, thank you. You you say that every time, and I and I I do worry I'm gonna I'm gonna be challenged. Uh, well, the the, the, the well, winner's I mean, belt is gonna take. Well, you are one of the returning champions. I mean, RB Bado is the ultimate champion. He's been on the show I think eleven times uh, in the course of the the entire history of the show. So you've been on now I think three or four times. But uh, I do not it, want to challenge RB. He is a nice guy, <laughs> but he is ripped. So he he I, does work if out. You're listening, RB, you, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> I think last time you were on the show, we discussed uh, why Die Hard is the greatest Christmas movie of all time. Yeah, with numbers and stats, and you know, <laughs> not that we need them, but yeah, you know, it doesn't hurt. It was uh, it was one of the more enjoyable episodes I'd done <laughs> in quite some time, <laughs> and the tribe was really uh, happy about that episode. Some people were like, "You spent an hour talking about Die Hard." I'm like, "Yes." Yes, I did. It was the Christmas present to the people who wanted to hear it. I don't know how we cut it down to an hour, if I'm honest. Yeah, it was. It was. We could have kept talking. We could have easily kept talking <laughs> about that. Um, this year, we'll do Lethal Weapon and why that's a Christmas movie. So, uh, <laughs> um, so it's, listen. So, I wanted to have you back on the show because you wrote this insane article, which I when I anytime I refer to you it's always insane is somewhere in the, in the point uh but in the, in the most positive uh connotation of that word um you wrote this amazing uh article what does the film industry think its future is the future of film exhibition essentially and uh, of course you have the numbers to back it up so what did you find out from your research uh yeah this was a really fun project it's something i wanted to do almost as soon as the the pandemic started to change the face of the industry and whether it's a temporary thing, whether it's a long-term thing, um, we obviously won't know. No, no one can know that, but what we can look at is what people think, you know, what's there. And so this is absolutely a survey of opinions and perspectives rather than facts. Cause who knows? Um, 
And so I teamed up with Screen Dollars, who have a mailing list, uh, who send out a newsletter uh, every Sunday to the mostly exhibition sector in the in the US, but also obviously wider than that as well. And um, we've been talking for a bit, and I said, and I said to them, look, let's do a survey, let's try and get the take the pulse of the of the industry and, and of exhibition, but of also all the other sectors as well, and let's see what people are thinking. And I had a few suspicions as to sort of whether people were sort of losing sync slightly, as we're not actually trading. You know, on a you know the the exhibitors and distributors and studios will be trading normally, and so they would get a better sense of what the others thinking. But now, as no business is going on on that front, they're losing a bit of sync. Um, and so we sent out a survey, and we had just under four hundred people fill it in. Um, we had a few more, but we decided to focus the results on the domestic market mm-hmm. because most of the people were in domestic, but also it's the it's the most interesting to pull apart because mm-hmm. um, it's the most evolved market um, around the world. Um, so we then, so we had all these answers. So we uh, grouped people into into uh, four different, five different categories. So we had filmmakers, mm-hmm. so people involved in development, writing, pre-production, production, post-production. So they're people who make films. Mm-hmm. Uh, sales and distribution. So they're the sort of middlemen who do um, the sales and distribution, so film markets and, and distribution. Mm-hmm. And also marketeers were in there as well, people who do the marketing as well. Um, then we had exhibition, so cinema owners and operators. Uh, then the fourth category was home end, which we include TV and all flavors of VOD. And then the last one was other, which was sort of lawyers and accountants and film festivals and almost, you know, everything else in there. So that's quite, that other group is quite a hodgepodge. So I won't refer to them very much. Um, but it was interesting with these filmmakers, sales distribution, exhibition and home end, we have the whole journey of a film and we can see, uh, how, how their views are the same or how they differ and things like that. Um, so the, the first thing we asked them, which is this is this is not a surprising result, um, we asked them whether we thought different sectors of the industry would be better or worse between January 2020 and, and January 2021. Mm-hmm. And to varying degrees, but pretty much the picture was the same. Everyone thinks that if it doesn't happen in your home, it's going to be much worse in January 2021 than it was this year. So finance, production, sales, distribution, exhibition, festivals, market markets all that stuff everyone thinks that's going to be far worse and obviously everything that happens in the home so buying discs all kinds of vod uh, and also films on tv uh, is going to be a lot stronger so that's kind of what you'd expect right mm-hmm. um but where we started to see differences was when we started asking them about uh changes to the business model mm. uh, the exhibition business model um uh, out of interest, what's your perspective, Alex? Do you think that uh, the business, this COVID thing, is going to make people change their business models, or do you think it's always it's been in the works for a while and it's just going to make it happen sooner? I think that any any studio, any production, any distribution company that does not expect massive change in the way we do business moving forward will be left behind and left uh, in the the uh, the corridors of time as a failure and they'll go out, they'll go out the way of the blockbuster. Uh, if they don't see that this is a massive, massive shift, Titanic shift, uh, on the way we consume content, the way we see it. Uh, I think it's been in the works for some time. I think what is happening this year in the last, actually in the last few months would have probably taken another five or 10 years to go through. Cause we're such a slow industry. Like we do not adapt to change at all. Look, <laughs> look at, look at, look, look, think about it. Netflix came out in 08 and 
Netflix really came into its own when, you know, what, 2015, 2016, and it didn't become like, it became like a real dominant, dominant player only within the last few years, you know, where it became basically the biggest studio, almost the biggest studio in Hollywood um, and changed the entire business model of Hollywood. And now this 2020 is the first year that we have, I mean, Disney Plus just came out late last year. Then we have HBO Max and Peacock. They, they, the other studios finally showed up. They started in 2008. So The industry is so slow to do that kind of stuff. Uh, you look at, uh, and so many budgets I've seen in the last six months uh, even have got things like, you know, tape and labs, film and labs, and they're, and they're shooting it's still on the there. red. It's still there. It's yeah. still there. Yeah, and it will maybe there in 100 years. There's so much that is just that's the way it was, and so therefore it's the way it will be. Um, but is it, I think it's a problem that – and it happens in every industry – Every industry and around the world, when there's big giant change, whether it's through technology or culturally um, or in society in general, is they're trying to hold on to their cash cow. So DVD sales, um, home video rentals when Blockbuster couldn't conceive of streaming or couldn't make it work, uh, they try to hold on to their cash cow and they fight. They fight tooth and nail looking at the music industry, how long they fought MP3s till they finally – figured it out. It took them a while to figure it out. That's exactly what's happening with film distribution. And now this, like this fight between AMC and universal, like we're not going to show any more universal. I'm like, dude, you have no power. You have no power. The theaters also, have no power. Now's not the time to have the argument as well. Like no. whoever, whoever's <laughs> right or wrong, you don't know what's happening and you should just, everyone should just keep quiet. Stay it's in your like corner. your leg is broken and I'm going to go, let's go fight. You know, I have yeah. my arm. My arm and shoulder have been thrown out, and I have a broken fist. But I'm going to pick a fight. That's exactly what AMC is doing right now. It's the stupidest thing around, and it's because well, they it's- are so terrified that their entire business model is going to go up in smoke that they're reacting this way, and they're not being smart. They're doing the same thing that Blockbuster did. They're doing the same thing as Borders and all of these other com- Circuit City and all of these companies. That were giants, like Sears and all these other companies and other and other industries that were giants, le- like just legendary companies, because they are not flowing with the technology, they're not flowing with the way things are going, and if they don't, they just can't see past their their core business model. Well, and that's if they, it, isn't it? If their they, perspective. Yeah, if they don't shift, if they don't pivot, you're gonna die. And I, I promise you that AMC will be bought out by Amazon or by somebody else. And and the whole spectrum is going to change, and 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 specifically AMC. Imagine if Amazon bought, it. and I called that. Me and RB called that. I think in February, I was like, "Oh yeah, Amazon's going to probably buy AMC because it's so cheap now, because it's not going to go away. All those screens are going to still be there." But yeah, and I think the desire to go to the cinema is going to be there. Oh, know, absolutely. Like, because why do people go? Because it's cheaper than most of the other alternatives, like theater or a ball game. It's much more flexible. It's perfect for like catching up with friends in a low hassle kind of way mm-hmm. and you get to be part of a shared moment and there's though if i could buy shares in going to the cinema i would if i had to buy shares in, in the individual limited companies that exist today mm-hmm. i'm not sure i would but would you but i think the future is going to go back to where it was at the dawn of hollywood which is where the studios owned the exhibition and then they came up with this anti um anti-monopoly uh, law, yeah, yeah, antitrust thing. So they aren't allowed to. But if you've ever been in El Capitan in Hollywood Boulevard, which is owned by Disney, 
that is the future of cinema, in my opinion. Where the well, stu- Netflix already own the one. Is it in New York? Where did they buy it? There's a there's mm-hmm. a theater they own. They bought they bought exactly. So they're going to create like for specifically for something like Disney. They're going to create an experience. They're going to have characters there. There's going to be the the gift shop is where they're going to start selling stuff. It's going to be like a Disney store inside of the movie theater. Because if, imagine if you walk out of, of Frozen Two. With a ton of kids, they're all going to want to buy something, and you could. Well, it's not just it's not just kids though. I think you know I've walked oh, out of movies too. that have oh, been yeah. really cool. Like for example, you walk out of a Christian Christopher Nolan movie, and then they say, "Do you want to buy the Blu-ray? It's twenty five quid, but there's a commentary where he explains what it meant." Or the script, do you want to buy the script on it? Or do you want to buy the art book behind it or the any of that kind of stuff? And that's the moment to get me when I'm walking out. Absolutely, and that's. But I think that's the future of exhibition i think these studios will start to buy up these chains because now they've now relaxed that antitrust thing so mm-hmm. now the studios will start to buy these 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 exhibitions and that's just going to have more consolation uh, um, well it's uh, interesting control. because the power dynamic had been quite balanced and, and we'll come on to what they think about the power dynamic in a second but the power dynamic between studios and exhibitors has been broadly quite well balanced and there have been a few fights on either side and the window of release has been getting slightly smaller but fundamentally they were holding their own to each other mm-hmm. and this is thrown that out the window as far as it's completely in, in the moment we're in right now the studios have had even more power and the exhibitors clearly right now have very very little because they're not there's no money flowing um but one of the interesting things is this the studios are, i i don't know this for a fact but if i were in the studios i'd be thinking this they've got to be very careful they don't kill the sector because the one of the major things that about exhibition for the studios is it's a massive competitive advantage you know it's a barrier to entry to the indie filmmaker you know if if all films just went straight to vod uh there would be less difference between a disney film and uh an indie film there's still a difference but less of a difference whereas if they can control whether it's through ownership or through just the, the commercial terms the exhibition going to the theater then they, they have a different type of product and that's what they really benefit from but, so they've got to be quite careful to leave the sector alive but could you but let me ask you this is is the current business model that the studios have, which obviously the, the studio business model has changed over the last 15 to 20 years, where it, they used to do $20 million movies and mid-level movies and take chances and do things, original things and, and original films. Uh, but now they don't. Now it's all IP-based. It's all based on properties. It's all based on um, books or or something or reboots or something like that because they have to hedge their bets. And I get it. That's the business that they're in. But – is there a world without a theatrical component that Disney puts out eight $200 million movies a year? Like, can they financial? Because you can't go directly to Disney Plus with that because you will run into a wall eventually. You will reach mass saturation in this market as Netflix has, has gotten really close to doing. So you is there a, a future that we can do these monstrous like Avenger Endgame style you know, avatar style prop uh, projects without a theatrical component. It, you know, I can't, I can't see it because the thing is that what Disney are very good at is selling you the same thing twice or oh, three times or, three or, or four times. times or five exactly. Times. So why, so they don't want to get rid of a, a way to charge you quite a yes, significant charge. Absolutely. Uh, and 
so yeah, I think they've got to keep an exhibition alive as well as it is an income stream and things like that. But the power is kind of shifting. Um, and you were mentioning AMC talking about talking trash about trolls, uh, well, specifically the trolls that work at Universal. Uh, who, <laughs> trolls too, sir. Trolls too. <laughs> yeah. So this is this is um, Trolls World uh, World Party, which Universal were planning to release theatrically, but then went straight to VOD and had a, an expensive like twenty dollar or so premiere. And so mm-hmm. that was one of the things I asked uh, these different. Uh, sectors, uh, different groups of people within the survey. I said, you know, uh, how much do you agree with the statement that Universal was wrong to release it straight to VOD? Um, and you and all the listeners will be shocked to hear that um, most people in exhibition, you know, uh, almost 60% of people thought it was just wrong, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but with filmmakers, it's like 15% or so, 14, 15%. So fundamentally, filmmakers are like, yeah, of course, they didn't have an alternative or mm-hmm. whatever. The, I don't know why they think this, but one can assume it's because they were like, well, there was no alternative and it's still they made a lot of money and it worked. Whereas uh, people in exhibition still think that it was a terrible thing to do. And I, I'm not coming down on either side. I don't know. Certainly, they've Universal announced they made over $100 million. Who knows if that would have been in addition to the box office. I'm sure they made a, far more of it than they would have done in the in the theater. So I don't know. Um, and we saw a, a similar thing. I asked them also about whether Disney were wrong to release Frozen 2 and Star Wars 9 mm-hmm. two months early to Disney+. Plus. There was less of a disagreement. Um, most people were, were more in favor of that. And I think it's because the, the battle lines have really been drawn around the theatrical release, you know, the, the window of release, the first where, where is the first platform people can see it? And when does it go to VOD? When it goes to, you know, a VOD like uh, Disney Plus, after it's been on iTunes, people seem to care a lot less. Um, but they, right. but it's the same pattern, though. You know, Exhibition thought it was terrible um, that people were, that the Star Wars, uh, Disney were releasing it early. And filmmakers, again, didn't seem to care at all. Well, um, I mean, it, but if you look at this, because I was studying what was going on with Disney Plus, because I saw Onward, which was the big Pixar movie. That had a small theatrical run prior to the COVID shutdown. And then they released it uh, on the uh, premium TVOD for 20 bucks. Then like a week or two later, they released it on normal uh, transactional. And then the next week, it was on Disney+. Plus. So mm-hmm. that for me and Frozen 2 and Star Wars 9, all of them are extremely smart choices. I completely agree that Disney did that. Because they want subscribers. They have over 50 million subscribers already on Disney+. Plus. That's, I mean, that's a massive. It took Netflix a lot longer to get to there. HBO took them like two years to get 10 million subscribers on HBO Now. You know, it took them forever. Um, and they have the data. There. They have the control over people. They right. can sell them. So, the, yeah, the money's absolutely. better. Yeah, the money's better. So that made perfect sense. The Trolls 2 situation is interesting because they didn't have a choice. It was like either release it now um, or lose a year basically and compete. So they could go on, on to straight to T, uh, SVOD now where there is basically no, or TVOD, there's no real um, competition. But if they wait to November, let's say, let's say that they're going to actually release all these movies in November, December, which I can't even, I mean, they're basically moving the entire summer blockbuster season to to, to the holidays, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think is going to be a great idea. But let's say they did, and Trolls 2 was waiting to go into that window. Well, there's only so many movies you can release in the, that eight-week period. And they're already pretty much, you know, are you going to go against Wonder Woman and and Top Gun and Mulan and all these? Like, it was smart for them to do it now. 
If not, they would have to wait an entire year to release it in um, in next summer. So I think it was smart. Now, they did over $100 million, according to them. Uh, according on, to them, which we have to keep saying. Yeah. Yeah, according to them, it was over $100 million, which is great. And if that's the case, that's fine. They would have made more than that theatrically. Uh, be, well, they, they would have grossed a lot more than that, would they? I'm not. I, I'm. It's different. That's the other thing. Yeah, that's the other thing. Ah, you're right. So they would have grossed more, but how much take home would they have made? So there's a good balance, but also that's a very specific kind of movie. The kids are at home. There's not a lot of other things going on. It was in a crazy time when it came out, so people were still like kind of freaking out. It was, a, and they had no choice as well. The other choice was to completely snooze it for ages and take it out in a competitive market. So, in the the money in the hand, because that, that that you know the funding of that has got costs to it. Spending what they ever they spent making that movie is accruing interest. It's costing them something. So there is a lot of opportunity cost as well. And there was no competition for that. That there was no movie like that over right. that week or two that was doing that. Whereas whenever they come out theatrically, they would have it's gone, going, if they waited, yeah. it would have been a, a busy market. But would um, but but the question is, because a lot of people are like, oh, you know, movie theaters are over and, you know, premium TVOD is what we're, that's the future. And 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 to, to a certain extent, there is agreeing and disagreeing on that, on that statement. But you have to ask, well, that was with a movie like Trolls 2. What would happen if Avengers Endgame or Wonder Woman or the next Bond showed up? Like, I would pay $20 for any of the movies we just talked about to watch it at home. Yeah, I, personally, I'd feel cheated. Not, no, not cheated. That's too strong. I would no. feel disappointed. Oh, I want course. to see Bond on a big screen. I, of course you know? I do. Absolutely. But if we don't have that option, you know, if, if Bond was available to me tomorrow, I would probably get it. And I think a lot of people would probably do it, but or the next Fast and Furious, or one of these big. But See, the more I, they're about, the more they're about spectacle. The more you, and by the way, you're right. People will pay it. There's no doubt. You're absolutely right. But the more it's about spectacle, it should be at the, the more I think. Yeah. And you know what? This is, I can't remember if we talked about this on previous podcasts, but this is my sort of, um, I don't go in for predictions, but if I had to, as, as far as how um, exhibition evolves over the next, say, 10 years, is it's, I think it's going to split into two particular types of exhibition in the same way that you don't have, the, like you said, those mid-budget movies, it becomes very big or very small. I think exhibition is going to become either thrill-seeking, which is the IMAX, Bond, Fast and Furious, Nolan, louder, bigger, Nolan, brighter, yeah. you know, uh, uh, and then the other side of um, exhibition that will thrive will be the the you know thirty bucks a ticket. You get a nice red wine you can buy. There's, a, yeah, there's which a, is where it's been going anyway. Which is where exactly. it's been going and anyway. Those films really do support indie films and those no. kind of environments. It's not only them, but that's an older audience, which is who are living longer, richer, more grown up on movies, uh, and also are more likely to go and see films with you know good ratings and stuff. And so it will start to split in the same way that you have. Um, different kinds of theater, right? Like we mm -hmm. go and see, you go and see an Ibsen play. It's very different to a pantomime or cats on, on Broadway or whatever. They're, they're technically both theater, but you wouldn't go and see one as a substitute for the other and they wouldn't right. happen in the same building. So yeah, without, but, without question. So, so on that, one of the things that's interesting is that what does that mean for the theatrical window? And and in those two examples, you, you need to keep a theatrical window for the uh, spectacle one because you want to really make it more mm -hmm. exclusive. But for the Absolutely. other one, it matters far less. You know, I, I saw Parasite 
in the theater and i could have seen it at home and mm-hmm. i chose to see it in the theater because it's a it's a movie i want to be engrossed in um mm-hmm. and so i asked them how long do you think the exclusive theatrical window should be mm-hmm. um and i said you know longer than 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 pre-lockdown which i, I sort of threw in there as a kind of like ah we might as well put it in there for completeness um the same as the lockdown and then at the moment it's about 90 days uh between theatrical and the first mm-hmm home version that's available uh, in the u.s it's 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 four months in britain's three months mm-hmm. in um in america um so should it between should it be longer than 90 which is what it was should it be 90 60 to 90 30, uh, 30 to 60 less than 30 days or i put an option there should be no exclusive window for theatrical um and it's exactly what you'd expect like the exhibition sector absolutely thinks there should be a, a, a lockdown uh, there should be um a, a window and over half of them thought it should be the same if not more than it was before so they're still fighting to increase they're still they're they're just they're just stuck they're blockbuster guys they're blockbuster that's all mm-hmm. they are they are they are stuck in the old ways they cannot conceive of a way to do business other than what they have been doing for the last 100 years that's why it took them so long to get the gum off the damn floor you know and get seats that that are comfortable and to get real food in there it took them forever to do that they are they are not an innovative uh industry oligopoly you know there's a small number of players they don't need to evolve but what's fascinating about this is is that the filmmakers are almost the polar opposite you know, the, uh, about yeah. a third of them thought there should be no w- exclusive window. And the vast majority of them, almost 90% of them, thought it should be less than lockdown. But here's the thing. So the, the, so far, as you'd expect, they, I, I didn't expect it to be such an extreme difference. And I'm surprised about the sort of 15% of exhibition who think it should be longer. But then this is their opinion. So um, this isn't uh, what do you think will happen. So, you know, fine. That's their, they're entitled to their opinion. What I find most interesting is that the two other major groups, the home end group, which includes TV and VOD, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then sales and distribution as the other group. Where do they align? That always interests me because home end, you'd imagine, would be the antithesis of exhibition because if the window gets smaller, they benefit. And sales and distribution have a much better sense of the overall value chain because they'll get a, a cut of every dollar, where whichever platform it comes from. So I, those two are the two that I thought were most interesting. And on this question, the home end people actually are much closer to exhibition than anybody else. And so actually home end, when taken in this a survey of opinions on this particular day that people filled it in, actually is supporting to less extent but still exporting supporting exhibitions idea that the window is important and i and i I actually think that they do need it to feel premium you know i think that the home end uh, people are worried that if it feels like youtube you you can't charge the 20 bucks for, for the you know vod thing whereas the um sales and distribution people sort of sit somewhere in the middle so they're the people i would really be interested in in looking at and and on the sort of the previous question around Universal and Disney, they sided with the filmmakers, whereas here they're much more closer to the well, to the exhibition people. Well, if you look at Netflix, because Netflix is a great example. I mean, look look at a movie like The Irishman or um, that last Michael Bay movie or this new uh, Extraction with uh, Chris uh, Hensworth. Those mm-hmm. were those are big movies. Those are big movies with big stars and big budget. And does The Irishman have the same gravitas? That it would have had if it had a, a real theatrical run, or that, or that's that that Michael Bay film or Extraction. 
you know, does it have the same gravitas? Does it matter in the new ecosystem or the the new economy that Netflix has created? Obviously, it didn't matter to Netflix at all because they're playing by a completely different set of rules. Mm-hmm. They don't care about uh, exclusivity. They don't care about the old model. The only ones that are, are are worried about the old model is people who live in the old model, which is the general studio system and the ex, the the theater owners. But if you've noticed, there's already a shift happening. Disney mm-hmm. Plus, HBO Max, Peacock, all three of those are basically cover three of the major studios out there and and and, and multiple television networks out there. <laughs> So they're already starting to shift. Do you mean to tell me in 10 years that we're going to have this conversation? I doubt it because it's going to be so much more lucrative to go directly to consumer. And that's what, that's what the studio system is starting to figure out is like, why do we need to go to a, to a movie theater? Yes, I get it. You know, it's, it's a billion dollars, but out of that billion dollars that we have, maybe we take in half a million. And then let's not even talk about all the marketing that we did out there, which is another couple hundred million dollars. So we really only take home. how do we home- deal with those people? Like the, 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 the power dynamic has meant that they, uh, they're not as powerful as they are in other sectors, you know, like Disney when it owns Fox stuff and it wants to put, um, it wants to adjust the aspect ratio of the Simpsons on Disney plus. It just decides to do it as a monolith. And of course, lots that has to happen, but it just decides it's all in agreement, right? It's one mm-hmm. entity. Whereas when you, when they're Disney are talking to the theaters and they say, you know what, actually we want to be flexible on the, on the release for this one because of Christmas or whatever yeah. it would be the the theaters have been able to say no, or at least fight back. And that was a question I asked as well. I asked after the lockdown, uh, will exhibitors have more power to maintain the 90 day no. window? And the, the exhibitors, I mean, they, they still think they're going to have because a lot they're of power. idiots. They're idiots. They don't. The difference is this. I, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but the difference is this: the studio system, the studios have multiple ways to generate revenue with their with their property, with their films. All of them have multiple ways to do it. They can go directly to TVOD. They can go. There's just so many different revenue streams that they have. The movie theater exhibitors have one way to make money, and it's reliant on someone else providing that. It is a very, very difficult business to run if you have no content. And they have built an entire industry around the promise that the studios will continue to provide them content, high-end content. If the studios decide, you know what, screw you, we're just going to go to Disney Plus, HBO Max, and Peacock now, and we don't really need to deal with you anymore because our business model has changed. The the movie theater chains are going to all go down, and it will just be a ghost town. And that is the, but that's the difference that the student, that the exhibitors are thinking it's 1980. It is not. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, I know you're not attacking anyone, but in defense of the exhibitors, I'd say two things, right? One, all jobs and certainly leadership roles involve a certain level of belief in your own self. In oh, your of own course. Company, oh, in of your course. Sector. Of course. And so it, sometimes when we talk about filmmakers, we talk about delusion. We talk about, you know, uh, the vast majority of films fail, but your one won't because you believe in it. But then again, if you didn't believe in it, it definitely would fail. So there is a certain amount of positioning, but also there is perspective of, of and, I, and I would imagine that the studios are not taking into account some of the things that the exhibitors are and vice versa. For example, 
cinemas, actually, I think you're right. They're, they're a hard business to make money. They're a hard business to actually flex. You can't move your location. It's very hard to open up a new location. You can't really change your prices because they've pushed that to the maximum and same with concessions. But there is a, there is a knock-on effect. So I've already talked about how the studios uh, need exhibition as we have it now to provide a, a barrier to entry to other content, to provide a, uh, to make their content a different thing. The other thing is that we there are other sectors that need theaters as well. So you think about how many oh, shopping malls so need a theater. Yes. Destination. You know, like let's say every theater closes tomorrow and the studios are fine, oh. filmmakers are fine. There malls. are many other sectors that oh. are not fine. You oh, know, absolutely. No, you know, no, absolutely. out of town places. And also, you know, it, it, it's not that VOD supports all different sectors of the industry in the same way theatres. So there would be a theatrical does. So there'd be an experience there. But there are, these are the things that exhibition is taking into account that the if we ask purely about dollars and cents for the for the films, we're, we're not taking into account the whole thing. Um, Agreed with you 110%, but that doesn't stop anything because when Blockbuster shut down, it shut down 2,500 stores and it and it not only hurt the Blockbuster company, but it hurt a lot of companies out around them that supported their company. And they, and they weren't even foundational. Like no one would build a mall based around a Blockbuster, but, correct. But a bowling alley or a theater, they become the anchor of how you get people to come and shop beforehand and eat afterwards. And that destination is a real problem. And yet people still have the same need to meet. I mean, obviously we can't do it right now, but that's not going to change. So that, but that's also not the studio's problem because they've, they've got shareholders and they've got to. No, it's about, their, they don't so. give us a flying F uh, about anybody else other than themselves and making money for themselves. But that's, that's, but that's, their, that's their legal duty, right? That's their fiduciary that is, duty. That is their fiduciary duty. So they don't care about other industries. They don't care about exhibitors. They don't care about any of that. I think the new world should be this. I think that there should be a 30 day window that gives you a four week uh, window for those people who want to see it theatrically. And then it's available online in premium TVOD for mm. a month. And then goes into general TVOD and SVOD and, and those platforms. That makes sense to me that it's still because basically you make most of the money is made in the first four weeks uh, of all these big movies. Sure. But it, it, but, but it's about the de- denial of um, – what's the right phrase? But it's like the, the delaying of gratification. If I thought I only had to wait one week um, – then I actually might might be willing to wait a week. If that's I what I, four th- weeks, maybe I will. But, but the that's thing the is, thing. But that, that's but that's the thing, though. Uh, Stephen, if I have that, to wait three weeks, I'm, three months, I'm not gonna. You right, know what but, they should really do? If you, uh-huh. if you look at the psychology of, of humans, they should make it random. <laughs> like every single film oh. you roll the dice and no one announces when it will appear on disney plus or itunes until the day it does it just drops right super and smart that would mass- maximize theater tickets right but the point is this that they'll eventually figure out the patterns um, no 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 yeah. random true random like you yeah. need people like me to not be able to crack it and if it's truly <laughs> random that's how people get that's how the uh, slot machines in vegas i just really I, I just don't think i just don't think that um I just don't think that the theater – well, first of all, that would never happen because that takes way too much <laughs> intelligence and, and coordination. Okay. It's not a workable um, plan. It's, it's not a workable plan, but it's a fantastic idea. <laughs> um, it's, and secondly, that I, I feel that the plan that I just laid out being a 30-day window is if you want to go see your, th- your movie in a theater, it's going to jam everybody in in those first four weeks. Uh, the people who will wait, they'll wait. They're going to wait a month or they're going to wait three months. Why? Because – 
There's so much content. There are so many options now. When Batman came out in 1989, there wasn't as many options. Everybody on the planet knew that movie was coming out and everybody went to go see it in the theaters that were available. You didn't have maybe Batman. I can't remember where we were with VHS and films on TV. Well, no, no. So VHS, I was working at the video, my my video store at the time. So video, video stores were in full effect. Blockbuster was probably a year, a year, year and a half away from being completely dominant. They weren't yet in 89, if I'm not mistaken, but they were still, they were becoming a juggernaut. Um, And then, so there was there were other options, but not the same as there is now. There is just everything ever made accessible instantly. So the you know oh like oh I want to go see that movie, but oh I gotta get I gotta get to it, and then a week goes by, two weeks go by, three weeks go by, and you're like oh, I'll just wait three months when it comes out, um, and that's what happens. And because there's just too much other competition, so again the the exhibitors are feeling that they're reacting to this like they are the last Coca-Cola in the desert. And they're just not. They're just not. And also, and I have to say this one more time, because and, 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 <laughs> and, and please forgive me. I Look, first and foremost, I love the theater-going experience now. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think that the movie theater industry and the exhibitors in general have had a combative relationship with their customer base for decades, for decades, because we're the only guys in town. Go screw yourself. Oh, $8 for a bucket of popcorn that cost me 15 cents? Yeah, that's just the way it is. What are you, a, an airplane hanger? Like where we go and, 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 and we have no other choice? They, you know, why are you charging us $5 for this Coke? You know, if I literally walk outside, I can get a big gulp for a dollar 50. Like why are you like you it's just such a abuse. And then before it was also just the experience. The sound wasn't always good, the projectionist wasn't always good, the floor sticky and stunk. And they eventually figured out that like we we got to make this look somewhat better and now they've made it more of a high class scenario, but there's still a combative um, relationship with the, with the customer because they're still charging obscene amounts of money for things that they shouldn't be charging more for. And unfortunately, that's their business model because the business model is flawed to begin with. It's well, a, it's the business model of, a, of a, an airport. It's a business um, model from 1930. They're still working <laughs> the same business model as they did in 1930 when Chaplin was running around. Well, you know? okay. here, here's, here's the last stat. There was more on the survey that you should go, go to the article and have a read of it. But there was one last stat yeah. which speaks to this, which I think – is perhaps the thing to really ponder for me. It wasn't the headline that uh, IndieWire or whoever else pulled out of the, um, like, this is the big finding. It wasn't the sexiest, but I think it's one that reveals, really is really food for thought. So I was asking people um, day and date releasing, you know, will that, you know, goes so it goes in theaters and it goes uh, wherever else it's going to go on the same day. You know, would doing that increase overall income for the distributor when compared to a theatrical windowed release of, you know, whether it is 30, 60, 90 days or whatever. And uh, the, most people in, in home end, unsurprisingly, over half of them thought it would increase overall income. They would say that. Uh, and obviously the cinemas under under a third thought it would. They would say that. Um, what was so interesting for me was that the sales and distribution, the people who are closest to it, mm-hmm. the people that. Take a dollar from every dollar. <laughs> okay, and then Actually, that was a Freudian. That's a, yeah, but I said that's a Freudian slip. I meant a percentage of every dollar. No, no, no. They take a dollar from every dollar. Right Absolutely. First. Plus, plus the costs, obviously. Um, yeah. <laughs> you owe them. <laughs> you owe them for the privilege of them taking the dollar. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a dollar for every dollar plus uh, plus tax yes. plus costs um, plus P and A. Um, but yeah, the people who get a bit, so you know, arguably the sales distribution don't care where the money comes from; they care how much it is at the end of the day. They agree with the exhibit exhibitors. They don't agree with home end. And it might be that it's an evolutionary market and we haven't seen a, the right version of it. Maybe it's something that's going to be ready in the future. Maybe this whole corona thing will warm audiences up to it. But fundamentally, the people who you really would think, A, would have all the data and B, would have no reason to be ideological because they just want to increase their income, uh, they actually agree with the, the, the theaters right now that that wouldn't increase. So if you were to apply that to trolls in, in a normal market, the argument would be that trolls would make more money if it was in theaters for a, a, a windowed period of time and then go to POD. So that might underline the kind of arguments we're going to be having over the next few years. And it's going to take some big film, some big uh, studio to do day and date and for it to make a fortune for the, the, the dam to burst the way that, you know, Cameron burst the dam of 3D or, or you know, these low-budget horror films that burst the dam of the idea that a, a, a low-budget film can really break out. Uh, so we've got to wait and see. I mean, it's right now it's all moot because there aren't films in theaters and there aren't going to be for, for a little bit. I'd be fascinated to see if – it's so interesting how the, the gods have given us the most theatrical um, – filmmaker uh, releasing a film in theaters the most traditional thing in july so you've got nolan coming out that is such an be. interesting film well-timed film it's almost a shame it's not the irishman as well you know people who really know cinema rather than just movies um we'll wait and see and then for me bond will be the big one bond will be the one that that wonder probably woman. will see normal yeah. wonder, wonder woman as well wonder woman of course yeah yeah yeah, yeah so I, I don't know what's going to happen and uh, i you I, know my 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 feel in day on day and date releasing that makes sense for a smaller film, for for a, an event film it's stupid. It's stupid. well, it depends how much it is. If it's, if it's forty bucks for day and date at home because you're having your own premiere, then I, I didn't they try that with a few films as well. They but, did, but it didn't not with anything big, not with anything of any major magnitude. So I mean, look, day and date. Okay, so yeah, okay. So if you're gonna charge a higher, like a substantially like pay per view cost for day and date then then maybe and it's like for the week it's going to be 40 bucks at home and then it drops to 20 like it's so weird because it's like all about windowing it's all about time so i still think that there is you can milk the the audience if you want to look at it this way you can you can pull more revenue off of your film if you do certain amount of windowing, something, because the people who are going to go to the theater are going to go to the theater. The people who are going to wait for home video are going to wait for home video. It's just the nature of people. And some people will just get lost between all the other content or they have the world that they're dealing with or so on and so forth. So if you're able to release a film, I still, I still hold on to my thing. Like uh, James Bond, you give me a 30 day window. And people who want to go see Bond in the theater will – you have four weeks to go see it. You'll go see it. And and then – and if they want to keep it in the theater after it's released, I've seen movie theater uh, – movies that are theatrically in, in the theaters and are on home video and are doing well because of the Oscars or something like that where they do a re-release. And people still go because they want to go see it theatrically. So there's, there's an option there. But I think a day in day – would only I really work for more independent, smaller budget films. I think that's a good strategy. But for these event films, 
they have to have some sort of windowing. And if you did a day in, day out at a higher price point for SVOD or for TVOD at home, that's that's now you're rolling the dice. Now we are in completely uncharted territory. And like if tomorrow you told me that Chris's, Chris Nolan's film was 40 bucks, first of all, I don't want to watch it at home. I want to see it on IMAX. <laughs> you know, I don't want to watch it at home. I want to see it on IMAX. But if there's no other option, you know, okay, let's say, let's say Wonder Woman or Black Widow. Let's say Black Widow. That's a good, you know, it's a it's a Marvel movie, but it's not a massive Marvel movie. It's not like this a big giant event film, but it's a it's a it's a standard Marvel movie. Would I pay forty bucks to see that film? Probably not. I'll probably wait uh, a little bit. Um, Bond, though, on the other hand, because it's the last one with Daniel Craig and all that stuff, I might. I might spend the $40 to see that on opening night at home on my entertainment system. So we are in such uncharted waters. It's not even funny. Nobody knows anything. All we're doing is speculating. If Nolan's film does actually come out in July, which I still say is up in the air personally, um, because we have no idea how this is going to, the virus is going to react, you know, and if we have a second wave and all that kind of good stuff. If it actually comes out, it's not going to be the box office that we're accustomed to because not everyone's going to be able to go. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. It's really interesting. We are living in exciting times, sir. Exciting and terrifying I'm, I'm, times. Also, you know, it's not like the previous model worked very well for indie filmmakers. So it's this no. might shake out to be a better model or it might be a different bad model. But I, I don't think this is a bad thing for indie films because, uh, it's like I said, it's the studios and the exhibitors who really had the lock on the previous model. Well, and but, but maybe. The, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, go on. No, no. I think that there is potential for independent filmmakers in the theatrical space. Uh, after this goes off, goes away because it's already starting to happen. There's only so many movies that the theaters are, uh, the, the studios are actually releasing a year, and the the movie theaters are starting to need content. And theatrical is a where a place where independent filmmakers could make their bones, especially locally, where you can you know rent out or partner or you know book five or seven local theaters that make it more of a regional release. In your neighbor, in, in your in your town, and then you get the local press and build that up. I've seen multiple case studies of that working very, very well. And movie theaters are super happy because they're like, okay, should I wait for like, should I have your fresh brand new movie in my theater for Friday night, or should I have Avengers that's on week ten? Um, how am I, am I going to make more money with you? Or am I going to make more money with Avengers? And if 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 you're good as a filmmaker, a filmmaker as a marketer, and understand the business you should be able to outperform Avengers uh, for that weekend. So there is going to be some more potential for independent filmmakers. And just the world is changing so drastically that everybody's got to start looking four or five steps ahead around the corner and start figuring out where we're going to be and not where we've been or where we are because we just don't know, man. This is so unprecedented. It's something that, I mean... I, in my lifetime, I've never seen anything like this. I don't think in the history of the entire industry, anything like this has ever well, happened. I've been um, uh, half joking with friends that my, I'm going to change my job title from film data analyst to film data historian, because uh, <laughs> I don't know how much of what used to work will work. And it might be that lots of it does. I'm not saying it's all gone, but it's um, 
most of the time you could say last year, next year is going to be like last year, give or take, right? Yeah. Uh, trends no. are pretty slow and, and, you know, certainly in the big picture here, who knows? No, who knows? there's no way there is. I mean, look, I mean, it, it changes. Well, now it's literally changing week by week. That's how fast uh, the, the consensus is changing within our industry. Before it was, you know, six months, a year, you know, from one, one film market to another film market, the whole world has already changed. I've seen that happen over the course of the last four or five years that I've been going to American film market. I've just been seeing how the industry is changing and seeing what the tastes are like and seeing how the distributors are losing their minds because they don't know what's going to make money before they could count on DVD or they could count on theatrical, they could count on foreign sales or they can count on something that was a cash cow. Now there are no cash cows. Now it's just like they it's just so watered down all over the place that now it's like oh Avod's the big thing. Well that's this year. Who knows what happens if the advertisers, you know, go somewhere else, well then that's the end of Avod. So there's so much change and that's why filmmakers now more than ever have to stay up on all the latest um trends and what's going on and and listen to people like yourself, listen to this podcast because we're trying to stay on the uh, on the cutting edge of what's happening right now and where things are going to be going in the near future, which is why I wrote my book. This is why I talk about all these things that are happening with distributors and how the business is changing dramatically. I said last year that Rome is burning and the walls are coming down around us as far as film distribution is concerned. I did a whole episode called The Death of Traditional Film Distribution, which – I still 110% believe the old way of doing things is dying, if not dead. And now the COVID has just thrown this massive amount of gasoline on that fire that we now are like, oh, we don't even know what the hell's going on. Like nobody knows what's going on right now. So as an independent filmmaker, it it was tough before. It's tougher now. But if you're smart, there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot up in the air. And yeah. how it lands and how, who who's going to be the first to figure this out, the way that Blair Witch were the first people to figure out what a website can do for an industry. Oh, right. You know, like the, there's a lot of things like that where you get one shot to do that thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's we don't know what those things are. If you can think what that thing is, if you can get in there at the right time, if you can do the right deal, come up with the right product, then there's a lot of opportunity. It's just and it will be obvious afterwards and it will be too late afterwards. Yeah. But, um, right now, everything's up in the air. And um, it's interesting to see where it lands. Absolutely, absolutely. But, um, but yeah. so for everyone listening, we're going to have a link to Stephen's um, findings on his website, and I'll have it in the show notes as well. So I'll give you that link uh, a little bit in, in a few minutes. But it will be at the show notes, so you can get uh, check hit, check that article out, and then check out everything Stephen does. Because if you need to know about film data and understand where the industry has been, where it is, and where it's going. There is actually nobody else on the planet who does what he does. Uh, there just isn't. Um, and no one does it as, as good as you do, Stephen. Well, that should be a warning to me, right? Like when you're the only person that does something, that's not a compliment. That's the, well, that's look, a, you know. well, look, and I always tell people this is like there's, there is basically one man who could walk, one film director in Hollywood who could walk into a studio and tell and say these words and actually get what they need. I need $500 million to develop new technology, to launch a brand new IP that is not pre-existing anywhere, don't have any major stars in it, and we really don't know how it's going to work out at the end. 
and I'm going to need about five to seven years to develop this. <laughs> and if people who have not, don't haven't figured it out yet, that's James Cameron. There, Spielberg doesn't get that. Um, Scorsese doesn't get that. Fincher doesn't get that. I don't even think Nolan gets that. Um, and Nolan is as close to Kubrick as we have right now, <laughs> as as artistically <laughs> and also in absolute power at Warner Brothers. I mean, he crashed a 747, a lot, <laughs> real life 747. <laughs> I mean, that is that's Kubrick level crap right there no, no, like, the Kubrick, no he's got another level to go where he's going to start doing that but on the reverse angle so that the actors have got the right expression but off camera obviously like when he starts crashing 747s off camera so the reaction is honest <laughs> then he starts Kubrick. we're I almost mean, I, there i, I almost find there. him for that go for uh, it uh, no no absolutely but but there's so don't feel bad if you're the only person that that's a very blue ocean sir that's uh you you have cornered your niche sir <laughs> it's not 500 million though i can tell you well, anyway that's a different listen, story. it's a, that's it's a, a pleasure story. to be back and um <laughs> let me get me that more so i can try and beat rb's record just don't tell him obviously um, we'll keep it we'll keep it between you and me i won't tell anybody <laughs> he's a nice guy but i don't want to push him off the edge you know like this is probably important to him uh, <laughs> but steven thank you so much for doing the work you do brother and thank you for coming on the show uh and and discussing this very timely issue uh with the with the tribe today so thanks again brother no. Right back at you. Thank you for all the work you do. And thank you for inviting me on and, and getting this podcast out so quickly so that everyone can can share in this. It's uh, interesting times to be alive, interesting times to be a filmmaker. If you have a thought, go to the article, add a comment at the bottom. And um, yeah, as always, uh, thanks for supporting the work. I want to thank Stephen, not only for this article and coming back on the show to discuss this very important topic about Hollywood and post-COVID-19 and how it's affecting independent filmmakers specifically, but... Also, just thank you, Stephen, for all the insane work you do. Like I said in the show, in the interview, there is nobody else that does what you do. You are a unicorn in our industry. And all the insights that you get from digging and just diving deep into the numbers really helps us all out a lot. And thank you, Stephen, for doing that work because God knows I can't do it. Now, if you want to read the original article that Stephen wrote, as well as all these amazing articles and insights to offer on his website, just head over to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 391 for the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I hope this has helped you on your filmmaking path. Stay safe out there. And as always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia.